Some of the greatest lessons we learn from the Bible are from some accounts of events that occurred during the Old Testament period of time. Some of the great prophets of the Old Testament were unwilling participants. Moses was called to lead the children of Israel, and he tried to reject the commission of the Lord, but the Lord persuaded him to do so. You remember that Jeremiah was called as a young man to be a prophet, and he also protested, but God persuaded him. Some people protested more than others, and some tried to run away from their responsibilities more than others. Jonah was a prophet who had to be persuaded in a very dramatic way that the gospel or the good news that he had for the people of Nineveh, not the New Testament gospel, but a good news that God could forgive them of their sins, was a message they needed to hear, and he was to take that message to them. I look back, and about eight years ago, I preached on the subject of hard questions asked of Jonah. I looked at the lesson that I preached at that time, and I realized there were some things that should have been covered in that lesson that I did not cover, and so I thought it appropriate now to revisit that lesson. And I want to begin with an introduction by asking you, have you ever been asked some hard questions? I'm not asking you, has anyone ever asked you what the atomic weight of some element is, something that you would have difficulty looking up. But I'm asking you, has someone ever asked you a question that you found it hard to answer? Not hard in the sense that the answer was hard to derive, but one that you really didn't want to answer. Questions you know the answer to, but you don't want to give. Questions that expose your failures. How many of us ever want to have someone come in to us and ask us, why did you do this? Why did you say that? We don't want to have our weaknesses exposed. Questions that deserve an answer. These are questions we know the answer to and they deserve an answer. And we sometimes try to avoid them. There are some important questions that were asked of Jonah and his shipmates that can be termed hard questions. In fact, Jonah was put on the spot. And it was okay to put Jonah on the spot. He deserved to be put there. But what about us? This morning as I preached about the things that occurred in the Exodus, those dangers in the desert, my point was simply that when we look and see the problems that the children of Israel had, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says these things were written for our admonition. They're written to try to make an impact upon us. Why were the events of the book of Jonah recorded? I believe because God wanted us to learn the lesson of Jonah. I would like you to consider the six questions asked of Jonah. And I will tell you that the questions were not from inspired men. These were shipmates. They were religious people. They prayed. They were concerned of doing the right thing. In fact, they were much more religious than was Jonah. 
But these questions were asked of him. And the sixth that we're going to look at is, What do you mean, sleeper? For whose cause has this trouble come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What country? Of who people or what people are you? Why have you done this? And number six, what shall we do to you? I think if you explore those six questions and look at Jonah's response to that and then make an application, I believe there's a great lesson to be learned from it. What do you mean, sleeper? We could paraphrase their question by saying, what do you mean sleeping at a time like this? The storm was fierce. Their lives were at stake. And Jonah was sleeping. Look with me. We're going to keep our Bibles open to Jonah chapter 1. In fact, we're only going to look at verses 4 through 12 for these questions. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, and lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, and perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Sometimes we need to be asked the same question. You see, the situation in which they were in was very critical. It was very dire. Do we ever need to be asked the question, Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping rather than studying? Let me illustrate this to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, Paul is addressing the subject of the resurrection of the dead. He dealt with people who were saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. That's the reason why Paul had to write 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says to him in verse 34, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He said it's a shameful thing that you do not know the word of God or who God is. Do you realize that we are in a dire circumstance in our nation? And even among our own brethren, when brethren do not know the word of God, they do not know the gospel, they can't teach it because they don't know it. They can't stand for the truth because they don't know what the Bible teaches. Are you sleeping? That's the reason why he says, awake to righteousness. Are you sleeping with regards to your influence to the world? We live in a world that is just caught up in sin. State after state is passing this same-sex marriage bill. We ought to be so appalled at that. There are people even in religious bodies. Last Wednesday night we studied about the Episcopal Church and observed that the Episcopal Church was ordaining homosexuals as bishops. We have to understand that we live in a sinful world. And Ephesians 5 and verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but rather expose them or reprove them. For it is even shameful to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But the things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We need to stand up and say, we know what's right. Support what is right. Teach what is right. Are we sleeping rather than watching for the devil? People can sneak up behind you. And they can do things to you. You know, they may want to play a trick on you. Or they may want to do you harm. The devil wants to do you harm. And that's the reason why Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He said you need to watch, you need to keep your eyes open. Jonah, what, is, what are you doing, you sleeper? These are very serious, difficult times. Get up. And somebody needs to shake our tree, so to speak, to get us to realize we should not be sleeping. Are we sleeping and not preparing for the Lord's return? You know, there's so many passages you could think about. But I think Matthew 25, the parable of the foolish virgins, he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You need to be prepared all the time, which is the point of the parable that Jesus told. Question number two. For whose cause is this trouble coming upon us? Or to paraphrase it again, the question would be, who caused this trouble? If you look with me at verses 7 and 8. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble come upon us? It's been located now. Jonah's the problem. Jonah, what caused this? We need to ask ourselves if we are facing difficulties of our own making. Am I going through troubles in life because of the choices I've made? And are those choices sinful? Are they contrary to what God would have me to do? Jonah's was. The problem is many times we want to look and justify everything we do and blame somebody else. In the Old Testament, Ahab confronted the prophet Elijah when he himself was the one who was at fault. Listen to 1 Kings 18, 17 and 18. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. What we hear Ahab saying is, you're the problem, Elijah. And Elijah saying, no, I'm not the problem. I'm not the one who created it. For whose cause 
is this trouble come upon us? See, David had to be confronted with his own sinful choice. Nathan the prophet was sent to him, and Nathan had to rebuke David because of his sin. And Nathan had to point out, David, you are the man. Listen to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And then David said, Nathan said to David, you are the man. And then he goes on to explain that God had anointed him, the king, had given him everything, but David had chosen to have Uriah the Hittite killed by the sword. David, you are the man. Many times we suffer due, due to our own sinful choices. Jeremiah 2 and verse 19 says, Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see it is an evil and a bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord of hosts. You've created the own situation. Jonah, whose cause, what is the cause that brought this on us? We have to look at ourselves and say, have I brought difficulty into my life and into the lives of others because of the choices I've made? We need to ask ourselves a question, is it me? Matthew chapter 26, verses 21 through 25. There at the institution of the Lord's Supper when they were celebrating the Passover, or really after the Passover, Jesus told them that one of them would betray him. And they each began to say, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Am I the one who has created this problem? That brings me to the third question. And that is, what is your occupation? Now you think about how embarrassing that must have been to Jonah. How can Jonah respond? What's your occupation, Jonah? Let's look at verses 8 and 9. And then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause this trouble is upon us, and what is your occupation? Verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I'm a prophet. God sent me on a job. When we get caught participating in sin, how would we answer someone who looks at us and says, but aren't you a Christian? Years ago, when I was growing up as a young man, we had a man in our congregation who had been pretty much of an evil sinner. And he decided he wanted to go to preacher training school, and did. Spent two years training, and then he came back, and he preached. In fact, was a very eloquent speaker. But he had a problem. He still loved his alcohol. Never will forget, the man that arrested him said it was so sad that when he stopped him, he said he had a whiskey bottle laying on top of his Bible in the front seat of his car when he arrested him. And he asked him, are you not a preacher? Asking Jonah, Jonah, what's your occupation? 
I'm a prophet of God. What does that do? What does that say? If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter or in this name. Folks, if we suffer for being a Christian, doing what's right, that's one thing. But if we suffer... Because we've chosen to go another direction. We're embarrassing God. I want you to look how Peter reacted to this charge. In Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter was outside, or sat outside in the courtyard. And the servant girl came unto him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all and saying, I do not know what you're saying. When all had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to him, to those who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But he again denied with an oath, saying, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately the roaster crowed. You see, what's your occupation? I'm a servant of the Lord. What are you doing? You're running away. Which leads me to the brothers of Joseph. The brothers of Joseph learned to be honest. They had been dishonest with their father. They had been dishonest in other ways. And when they are brought to Egypt, they were told not to say that they were shepherds because the Egyptians despised shepherds. But I want you to notice with me what we find in verses 32 through 34. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers. I want you to notice when they respond. Then Pharaoh said, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. You see, they had said, don't say you're shepherds. But they said, we're not going to lie about it. We're going to say it just like this. What's your occupation? Declare it. Stand up for it honorably. The next question is one that I skipped over in the previous lesson, which I thought was important. Where do you come from? Who are your people? What is your country? And I don't know why I skipped that, because they're asking your nationality. And he has to respond, I'm a Hebrew. And you know, a person may feel that they can stand on their own. But you know something? If a young man inherits his father's name and he goes off and he decides he's going to sow his wild oats, not only does he shame himself, 
He shames his mother and his father because he brings reproach upon that name. Listen to Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. A good name is worth something, folks, especially you young people. Romans 2.24 talks about the Jews. They had inherited the name of being a Jew, and that represented that they were God's people. But listen as Paul speaks to them. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In 2 Samuel 12 and verse 14 we read, However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Very similar to what is your occupation, but now they're saying, who's your family? What's your nationality? Where do you come from? If Christians do not act properly, Whose name do we reproach? Not just ours, but that of the Lord as well. Question number five. Why have you done this? Why is such a penetrating question? Why do men disobey God? Jonah, why did you do this? Why did you run away from God? They were asking because his disobedience affected them. You see, because Jonah decided to run away from the Lord and Jonah decided to get on that particular boat, Jonah not only put his life in peril, but every one of those men on that boat were suffering because of Jonah's choices. Why have you done this? We have to realize our sin often affects other people. The families of people who are drunkards and dope takers suffer because of the addictions of their families. Or their families suffer because of their addictions. I can remember very vividly as a boy, my father had a man hired to be a car mechanic. Very good mechanic, but he was an alcoholic. Every time he got paid on Friday, he would take whatever money he could and go to the beer joints and get drunk. This man's family suffered greatly because of his choice. And you want to ask the question, why are you doing this? Don't you understand how your behavior is affecting other people? The families of adulterers suffer. See, mothers and fathers cry tears because their children have got involved in activity that they ought not have been involved in. Romans 14, verse 7 says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. We all have some influence, either good or bad. And when you do bad, there ought to be an answer to the question, Why have you done this? Proverbs 15, 27 says, He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. This brings me to question number six. What shall we do to you? 
The bottom line is something has to be done. I want you to look at verses 11 through 15 with me. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. What did Jonah deserve? What shall we do to you, Jonah? He knows the answer to that question. What does Jonah deserve? He deserves to be thrown overboard. Jonah knows the question, answer to that question. Jonah knows he has to be thrown overboard. The sailors tried to save him, but God would not allow it. Do you understand there's some, some justice here? What shall we do to you? Have you ever had a teacher stand up and look at you and ask you one of those hard questions and say, what do you think I ought to do with you now? You didn't study for this test. You didn't put any effort into it. What do you think I ought to do to you Your little face gets red as a child and you know you've not done what you should have done. Well, I guess you ought to fail me. I guess that's what I deserve. What do you think is the right thing for God to do with you right now? If your life is involved in sin, what do you think God ought to do for you right now or do to you? Listen to Romans chapter 2, verses 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you realize that God has been good? He's granted you an opportunity. He's been patient. It ought to lead you to repentance. The book of Hebrews is a book about people who are running away from God and explains why they ought to come back and of the dangers of failing to come back. Hebrews 10, verse 26 and following. For if we sin willfully after we have received a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. He's going to use an illustration. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing 
and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Listen carefully to verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. What do you think should be your punishment? What should we do to you? You ought to be thankful the mercy of God is so patient and so kind as to allow us the opportunity to make corrections as we have opportunity. See, hard questions can sometimes be for our good. They can make us take a good look at ourselves. Do some self-inspection, if you will. Jonah had to face some questions that revealed his disobedience. And sometimes, studying through the Bible like we're doing now can reveal to us, you know what, I've been disobedient. And I've done the same kind of things that Jonah has done. We must make sure that the hard questions are answered now so that we do not have to face them on the day of judgment. Those are some hard questions. Tonight you can take care of the problems you have of any sort. You can, if you've never yet become a child of God, to believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's necessary. It's essential. You must repent of your sins. That is to turn your back on the things you've done wrong and to start doing what is right. A change of mind resulting in a change of conduct. Confession of that faith before men and then be baptized for the remission of your sins. Those plan, that plan of salvation is taught so plainly, so clearly in the book of Acts you can see it repeated over and over again in the lives of real people as they obeyed the gospel. But you also see revealed what happens when God's people have a penitent heart and they say, we've done wrong. They're called upon to return to the Lord with a penitent heart and with prayer for forgiveness. Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, would you come as we stand together and sing?